and welcome aboard the Paul Gallant Show on this Wednesday, June 9th of 2021. A very nice day. I am Paul Gallant. This is the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle. One you can jump aboard by texting in as the voice guy said, 710-710 on the old Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line. First things first. The Mariners are in timeout. If you can't beat the Tigers, you are not worth my time. At least today. Okay? Please beat the Tigers tonight. Thank you. That's all I'm asking for. But right now, time out. I do not want to talk about Jared Kelnick being sent down today. Because I know we've had a whole lot of that. Beat the Tigers. They're one of the worst teams in baseball. You can do it. So, let's shift into the question of today's show. Is it realistic to expect a first-time offensive coordinator to significantly improve an offense his first year in charge? Because that's what Shane Waldron is being tasked with doing. And he's never officially been an offensive coordinator before, though he was the passing game coordinator for the Los Angeles Rams with Sean McVay last year. My answer to that question, no. It's, it's not realistic. That's the key word here. Is it realistic? For that to be a marked improvement from a year that you saw last season with Russell Wilson and the Seahawks to next. Now, with the way that things ended last year, I suppose it's realistic. If you're going to judge the offense that you saw based off of the end as opposed to the entirety. But there will be struggles. There will be hiccups. And... As I work on this piece, that's taken me way too much, way too much time to put together because I'm not very good with Excel and I'm learning out how to use Excel on the fly more. I don't know if you've ever used Microsoft Excel. It is a very difficult, difficult uh, um, app, but I'm not a mathematical person. It so. is. Yeah. And it's one of those where even if you start to kind of get used to it, if you don't use it for a while, like I, I forgot everything that I learned. I'm consistently going to Google to say, how do you do this? How do you do that? But at the very least, what I've seen, and I looked at basically 37 coordinator changes over the last 10 years with quarterbacks that we would qualify as good. And I took a look at the yards per attempt from the year before the new coordinator came in to the next. And the difference, again, we're talking usually a difference of about two yards or so, the wide variance of yards per attempt. Occasionally, you'll see nine At the low end, it's around six. It was a negative number. And if we're looking at what effect a new offensive coordinator can have on a quarterback, you could also take a look at a year that I think we all forget. 2015, Kyle Shanahan's first year as offensive coordinator with the Atlanta Falcons. You might not remember that year. It was actually a bit of a struggle for Matt Ryan that season. 21 touchdown passes, 16 interceptions. The next year, he wins MVP. A new offense takes time to learn. And while I don't want to make too much out of what I'm hearing from DK Metcalf, it does sound at the very least like they are being introduced to concepts that in the past were foreign to them on offense. Here's DK. It's a lot of different different kinds of routes that, uh, you know, people haven't seen, uh, you know, from either team that he's coached. So, I'm just excited to, uh, you know, get to work with him and get to, you know, hone in on those uh, other skills. 
routes that no one has seen before, if you want to take it that far, that doesn't really exist in the NFL. But it sounds like they are reinventing the wheel a bit. These guys are NFL players. They've played football. I'm sure that they're going to be able to pick it up. I would have liked them to be there a little bit earlier to pick it up, but whatever. I, I, I'm, I'm sure they will be able to pick it up at some point. But installing this offense, it's going to be difficult, and Shane Waldron is being tasked with doing something that he has not done before. Maybe he's a prodigy, but do you think Shane Waldron's a potential prodigy like we have seen coming out of that Mike Shanahan coaching tree? Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan, Matt LaFleur, Zach Taylor, Mike LaFleur now. He's the offensive coordinator with the New York Jets. Shane Waldron. All these guys have worked together before. They can't all work out, and we're seeing with Zach Taylor, maybe that's not working out. Things are pretty good with Matt LaFleur thus far, Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay. Does this concept just work anywhere? If it does, great. I mean, that would be awesome news for the Seahawks. I'm just a little skeptical on that front. And I think as far as being realistic to expect a significant improvement from the first-year offensive coordinator, I don't know. Maybe in the second year, we're talking about a totally different thing. First year, I have some questions. I'm not ruling it out, though. You can text in 710-710 on the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line. Today's question on the Paul Gallant Show, which you can listen to on your 710 app, on your smart speaker, or 710sports.com slash video is it realistic to expect a first-time offensive coordinator to significantly improve an offense his first year in charge? We got some responses on Twitter. They were varied. One of them was very aggressive. American veteran tweets, already dusting off the excuse machine, better pol- polish up, your Russell Wilson apology machine as well, so you are ready when he underwhelms yet one more season. His last in hashtag Seattle, hashtag hopefully. This guy's clearly trying to get some clout based off of this one. You got some. You made it to the show. I don't know that that's the case. We talked about that this morning. This idea of the end of the road potentially coming for the Seahawks. That it might be right around the corner. Danny and I were going back and forth on whether or not you should try to keep things going as long as you possibly can, or if you should go all in. I'm of the opinion that you want your runway, as we described it, to be like the runway in Fast and Furious 6. They are on that runway about to take off for no less than 20 minutes. They are just going. There is no runway in the universe that is that long. Whatever the case, that's the kind of runway I want. I think you extend this as long as you possibly can. And maybe it doesn't get you the exact results that you want, but it gives you a fighting chance every single year. And I would just say, do you really want to operate in this all-in strategy when not going all-in from a year-to-year basis has worked so well for the Green Bay Packers, who have been to three Super Bowls over the last 30 years. Or the Pittsburgh Steelers, who have been to four. You have been to three over that stretch. And the measured, never pushing all the chips in the middle of the table approach, 
keeps you in a spot where if you have a quarterback, you have a fighting chance. You have a chance to be Baltimore. You have a chance to be the Giants. Or you have a chance to be a team that's a little bit better. Those are two teams that went on surprise Super Bowl runs. I don't think you go all in unless you got a quarterback on a rookie contract, which makes it very easy to do, or you assume your quarterback is either on the decline or retiring. The Saints made that mistake. They went all in when their quarterback looked like he was doing a little bit of both, at least in the near future. Or three, you you want to get rid of him so badly that you, you just don't care. That might be the case with the Seahawks, but I doubt it. So I don't think that you decide to go all in. And I know that this sounds perhaps cowardly, but going all in doesn't guarantee you anything. Okay, I, it, it worked out for Denver. Going all in on defense, by the way. DeMarcus Ware, TJ Ward, Akib Tlaib, they bring them all in one offseason. Worked for them, but who else has it worked for? We just mentioned the Saints a little bit ago. The Rams are trying to do it. Doesn't look like it's going to work out for him, does it? If you go all in and you miss, this is the biggest problem. Especially if you go all in, you miss because you know that the quarterback's leaving. And you got to operate like that quarterback isn't leaving. Got to keep him here as long as you can. When you go all in and miss, you fall back to the Stone Ages. I know some of you think that you would be willing to trade it all for a Super Bowl. But you also would have to be willing to trade it all for no Super Bowl and a return to the Dark Ages, and a return to the Stone Ages, a return to the early 90s. Do you want that? I'm not talking just pre-Pete Carroll. I'm talking pre-Mike Holmgren. Do you want to go back to that? Do you really want to go back to that? Seriously. I don't. I know that for a fact. I'm Paul Gallant. This is the Paul Gallant Show. If you operate it differently, if you're an all-in kind of person, 710-710 on the Mac and Jack's, Brewing Company text line. This is the Paul Gallant Show. You can watch it. Did you know that? 710sports.com slash video. Listen on your smart speaker. You can also listen on your 710 app. This hour of the Paul Gallant Show is brought to you by Advanced Hair Restoration. We're going to hear from you in five minutes. You can call in. But right now, it's time for What's Trending with Maura Dooley, brought to you by Kings Heating and Air. Good morning, afternoon, Maura Dooley. How are you now? Oh, I'm doing very well. How are you? I cannot complain. But I will anyway. <laughs> no. No, you can't change your answer. Well, it's not really changing my answer, right? I mean, this is not my job. Don't I have to sort of complain for work? Or am I just explaining things that I am frustrated with my way? And I'm a little bit frustrated with the all-in sentiment that we have been getting over the last couple of days. Because I think some people are really bummed out that they didn't trade for Julio Jones. Yeah. I don't know. I struggle on that one because I do see... The window they're talking about. I think even if Russell doesn't force a trade next year, he still only got a couple more years with them, and I do think he'll leave after that deal. The thing that is in your favor, though, is that the franchise tag still exists. I mean, you can make it really difficult for him to leave. I would use it. I would use it until I'm convinced that he's not good or he's just not showing up. And I don't think he'll do that, but that's just me. But I am with you that I would work more on a defensive blockbuster trade. Again, mm. even though they did one last year with Jamal yes. Adams, I would work more on Gilmore than I would have on Stephon Gilmore, the New England Patriots. We are very familiar with him. His services are good. All right. First up, the Mariners lost 5-3 to the Detroit Timeout. Timeout. 
Mariners are in timeout. Still in timeout. All right. They're going to beat right. the Tigers. How about uh, Jordan <laughs> Brooks? How about that? Okay, I like that. Jordan Brooks spoke at Seahawks um, OTAs yesterday. And I wonder if we can read anything into his comments on KJ right here. I wouldn't say any pressure, but it definitely shoes to fill. KJ uh, had an outstanding career here. You know, he set the bar high for sure. And uh, so it's definitely no slack here. So just ready to get in and prove that I can that I can do this. We both heard the same thing last night, Mora. We both heard some past tense, and maybe we're reaching a little bit and thinking that the Seahawks might have told Jordan Brooks that they're not going to bring KJ right back. But I hear that, and I feel like it's going to be a natural parting of ways. I, I think if you're John Schneider, you want Pete Carroll to use Jordan Brooks. And if you bring KJ right back, it's not a bad thing to have KJ right on the roster, but you're not really going towards the future and helping develop that young player, I guess. That's so tough because he was one of their best defensive players last year. But I do get what you're saying, and sometimes you want to see less of that nickel with the three linebackers. And so I I don't know. Um, I love KJ so much. I do, too. I, I heard the same thing you did. I don't think it necessarily means that the Seahawks told him anything, but... There's, you know, you get vibes there. Bobby and KJ are close. The way he said he had an outstanding career here just made me think that the vibes around there are that KJ and the Seahawks might be a past tense situation. Bobby and KJ being close, that one more of that point right there. Yeah, I would imagine that Bobby has probably pretty good vibes as to how interested they are. KJ's probably at this point right now where I'd imagine he's disappointed. He, he should have gotten more offers this offseason. It's a weird spot to be in when you're a mid-30s linebacker, even if you're coming off of a great season. When you're playing in that Sam position, you're not going to get paid a whole lot. It's it's one of those weird positions where you're almost viewed as a body and some guy who's just going to basically plug holes, even if you're plugging holes amazingly, you're just not getting the kind of respect that you would have five, ten years ago or so. All right, uh, Paul, I've got some audio for you here. Uh, Major League Baseball, apparently, you know, according to Sports Illustrated, at a crossroads with one of the biggest crises. Is that how you do it? Crises? 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 Crises. That that they've experienced in a long time. Banned substances getting out of hand. And who better to ask than, you know, one of the better pitchers in the game, Garrett Cole, about that issue. And here was his response. Or attempt at a response. And have you ever used spider tap while pitching? Um, I don't... I don't know. I, I, I don't know if... Uh, oh, stop talking. I don't know quite... I don't quite know how to answer that, to be honest. Um, I mean, there are customs and practices that oh. have been passed down from older players to younger players from the last generation of players to this generation of players. See, then he starts talking about why, if it were to happen, they might have happened. I mean, he does not get coached up very well on this. Got to be honest, baseball and all these teams probably, just from a PR perspective, should have battered down the hatches a little bit more. 
and I'm not, I think that's the term, battered. I don't know why it's battered. Anyway, but put the hatches down and tell all these pitchers, hey, look, you're going to get asked a lot of questions about these uh, alleged doctoring of balls. So if you're going to get asked about it, you can't admit fault. And I mean, that's as close to admitting fault as you could possibly get here. There's no honor amongst baseball players. Someone texted in earlier asking, because I, I, I have this weird concept of honor in sports. Baseball in particular has just been, over its entire history, so cavalier to cheating, even though cheating is wrong. And unless it's gambling on a game, they do not step in and really do a whole lot of anything. Yeah, the occasional ejection. Yeah, the occasional suspension. But, I mean, that's what's supposed to happen. You doctor a baseball, you're supposed to be suspended for 10 games. 10. So that's at least two starts for a pitcher. And yet, it just happens and happens and happens. Are all of umpires going to punish the supposedly 80 to 90% of pitchers who do this? I, I, I don't see what baseball can really do here except for bury its head in the sand and come up with some alternative next year to make it more difficult on pitchers. That, everybody, is what's trending with Moraduli every single morning at 10.15, brought to you by Kings Heating and Air. This is the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle. 710-710 is how you text in. You can call in 206-421-3776. You can tweet me as well, at Galant says. The question of the day, is it realistic to expect a first-time offensive coordinator to significantly improve an offense in his first year on the job? Your chance to be heard is right now. Your voice, your opinions. It's time to be heard. Every day at 1015 with Paul Gallant. Be heard. I'm happical. I'm happy. Happical. That's not a word. We're struggling with the English language on this show today. I'm happy. Where, where was I going with happical? Anyway, we'll, we'll move on beyond that. I'm happy... Here's where I, I was trying to say happy and nautical at the same time. What? Yeah, I know. Here's how I was getting there. I'm happy that our nautical audience is listening. It's batting down the hatches. Three texters sent that in. Batten. I did not know that. As someone who just got his boater's permit, his permit, his learning permit here, I'm looking to take boats out on the lake at some point uh, over the rest of the summer. I don't know if I'm going to need to batten down any hatches, though. But I'm glad that I finally know how that works. I used to not know that it was nipped in the bud. I used to think it was nipped in the butt. 710-710. Go all in now and have a generation of turmoil. That's how I feel if you were to go all in. That's the other thing that we have on the table for today's show. Because I do feel like there are a lot of people right now that are a little bit upset, annoyed, that the Seahawks did not decide to do that when it comes to Julio Jones. Look at Denver. Went all in, and for years, nothing but the basement. That's right. They did get the Super Bowl at the very least. But what happens if they didn't? And, I mean, they barely got there. Peyton Manning was awful. They won that AFC championship game by the skin of their teeth, and it was entirely on the back of their defense in that game. But what are you expecting out of Shane Waldron year one? Some responses. Yes, says Christopher. There's a reason why you moved on from the last offensive coordinator to hire him. So this is sort of looking at the last offensive coordinator as significantly worse than the next. So it's almost an addition by subtraction based off of the way I'm reading that one. That makes sense. I mean, maybe Schottenheimer had some serious limitations and he just wasn't getting it enough 
the changes that he needed, the adapts, the adaptations that he needed out of Russell Wilson. Uh, Gary responds, I would definitely say yes, considering our offense has been extremely predictable with no run game. They're trying to run the football more effectively. How are they going to do that is what I do wonder about. 206-421-3776. That is how you call the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle. Let's go to Jack. Jack, what's going on? Hey, hey, Paul. Thanks for taking my call. I appreciate you, man. Hey, I think you're looking at this all wrong. It's not just about Shane Waldron. It's about the team. We got a veteran team, so I expect a significant jump with uh, Shane Waldron. Now, if we had a younger team, I wouldn't have as big expectations. But being that we have Russell Wilson, D.K. Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, Chris Carson at all the skill positions, plus the veterans offensive linemen, um, I expect a significant jump with this O.C. Jack, that's a good point. The only young player that you're working in is Dwayne Eskridge, and he's probably your third wide receiver, assuming that he's capable. He should beat out Freddie Swain. He's a second-round pick. He should beat out Freddie Swain with the speed that he was able to show. You have Ethan Posick returning for another year at center. We'll see how that goes. Did not really work out down the stretch. You are moving Damian Lewis from right guard to left guard. You have Gabe Jackson coming in at right guard. So Lewis is going into his second year. Ethan Posick has about a full season of starting at center under his belt. Gabe Jackson's been starting at right guard for a really long time. Brandon Shell was your starting right tackle last year. Left tackle, you got Dwayne Brown. That's a good point by Jack. 206-421-3776. Let's go to Josh and Yakima. Josh, what's up? Good, good day. A beautiful day in Washington. Hey, um, basically, well, I, didn't, I guess I got to the question kind of late. I didn't realize you were asking about our offensive player. I was understanding as a position just in general from a coaching standpoint. I feel that offense and defensive coordinators need to be uh, a little bit less, um, a little bit more of a, like a, uh, you have to uh-huh. go. Excuse me. Basically, go in the morning uh, before um, you uh, end up like, like for example, you know, kind of like a grading system. You know, you want to be able to improve your offense uh, in the oh yardage per per carry. I guess you might say for Josh. I appreciate the phone call. Or... You're 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 losing me here. I'm I'm sorry. I'm lost. Sorry. Uh, I I appreciate the phone call. I don't I don't I don't know where that was going. Um, I think what he told me is that he he expects a first year head coach to be judged more harshly than a coordinator. Okay, I appreciate that, and sorry about that, Josh. Sometimes we get into this point where we don't exactly one hundred percent know what we're saying on the air. I can tell you that as a host, that happens to all of us from time to time. One more time, what was that, Mora? Well, we could react to that next right here, seven ten ESPN Seattle. It's ten thirty. And that means it's time to get in the sports pit. In the pit where all that stuff goes down, and if you don't have some freaking toughness, you're going to get your, you're going you're gonna to fail. With Paul Gallant. And joining me in the sports pit right now is the host of what I think is the best football podcast out there, the Around the NFL podcast. You can also catch him on the NFL Network, NFL.com. The one and only Greg Rosenthal. Greg, what's going on, man? What's up, Paul? I'm doing well, and honestly, I felt like we needed to bring in someone with an objective look on the Seattle Seahawks. I think you do a fantastic job of doing that because I think we here in Seattle sometimes take a look at what is in front of us, assume that Russell Wilson, Shane Waldron are going to gel together, and this 
this team is going to take another step forward this year. Maybe that isn't the case. So my question to you, it's the question I've been asking everyone today. What's a realistic expectation for a first-year offensive coordinator who's working with a good quarterback? That's a good way to frame it. Uh, and above average offense. You know, there's been such an efficient offense under Russell Wilson. I'm counting him as the coach since he's the most important guy on the team. Uh, basically, <laughs> since 2011, they've been so efficient. And that's gone up and down depending on the year and certainly went way down uh, in the second half of last year. Uh, but the receivers are there. Uh, the system is relatively proven, even if it takes uh, a little long uh, to get up to speed. I can, I think it's a reasonable expectation is like a top 12 offense, but, but not necessarily top five right off the top. You mentioned the receivers, and they're probably all set there, especially now that Julio Jones is on the Tennessee Titans. But a lot of people were pushing the idea of, hey, maybe the Seahawks should push their chips all in on the table, go all in, bring in Julio Jones. Do you consider yourself a part of that crowd? Not necessarily that they should go all in, but that they could. And I, you know, I would support it. it. They would have to find, you know, more than other teams, they would have to be creative in how it would work because of their draft picks and their cap situation. So I recognize the challenge in that, especially, you know, when you're paying Tyler Lockett so much money and DK Metcalf's uh, second contract is not that far away. Um, but uh, I do think they should add a third receiver. They're, they're just so thin that if Lockett or Metcalf get hurt, you know, I think suddenly their offense is really in a problem—a uh, problem. And the the NFL these days, teams teams are stacking up four receivers per team. And uh, I think they could still get a, a decent receiver, Jamison Crowder, uh, someone like that that you just don't don't even see coming that maybe becomes available in August. It is interesting to note Lockett, Tyler Lockett, while he's been playing in all these games, hasn't always seemed a hundred percent at the end of the year. So you are right on that front in that the depth is definitely shaky at wide receiver, though it is extremely heavy. At the top. So, okay, if if going into this year, say the Seahawks did decide to go all in, this is more a philosophical football question, but say they had. Is that the right way to go about things? Because we have seen some teams go all in, like, say, Denver a couple of years ago, where they load up on defense and it ultimately won them a Super Bowl. But we see other teams load up, go all in, and it doesn't necessarily work. And you come out of it especially if you're operating maybe with the idea that Russell Wilson's not going to be here that much longer and you come out of it and you end up in the dark ages, would you want to be in the dark ages going all in? Like say that's the possibility. You might win a Super Bowl, but you might be in the dark ages where Denver's been for five years. What would you rather have? (laughs) Um, I'd rather go for it, but I don't totally buy the premise. Sorry, Paul. I mean, uh, I I buy that the Seattle Seahawks are kind of like the Patriots when they had Brady and the Rams, how they operate, and a lot of t- the Eagles, how they operate, it's not working right now, but which is that they're trying to contend every year. I, I think you can accomplish long and short-term goals at the same time, and I think um, it's not the NBA where you can tank and two players are going to change your team. I, I think you should be going, if you need to lean one way or the other, it's short-term, but I don't think you need to rob your long-term development. Like, I'm not really sure what those moves would be that are, are all in. And I also would not want to operate in any way that this might be, you know, the end of the Russell Wilson era. If I'm ownership uh, or if I'm Pete Carroll, I'm trying to do anything I can to make sure that that continues for the next five, six, seven years. And if Pete Carroll's not going to be a part of that, 
then ownership needs to step in. To me, to me, I just I don't like the I you know, I'm trying to salvage that and make sure that works as well as I can. I am too. You make this thing go as long as you possibly can. You make it like the runway in Fast and Furious Six or something. So <laughs> I, I, I feel like you're very, very honest about the Seahawks. It sometimes draws the ire of Seahawks Twitter, which I know is one of your favorite places on the internet. You I, I feel like you can rile them up again. You had a very interesting theory on, on the Around the NFL podcast about what we've seen from Russell Wilson over the past couple of months because everything's all quiet now. I actually saw an article today by Larry Stone in the Seattle Times where it says that there is essentially a ceasefire. We haven't heard from Russell Wilson yet. He hasn't been asked questions by reporters about what we have been sitting back and watching from afar all of these months you have a theory as to maybe why things went the way that they are and why they're quiet now? Yeah, that he wanted to distract everyone from the second half of last season. It was kind of amazing how much of a pass he got nationally. I'm not sure what it was like locally, but that was the worst 10-game stretch of his career. I think there were reasons for it. You know, the protection was, was part of it. Uh, the matchups against the Rams were, were part of it. Um, but he struggled. I think you can isolate his play and, and say that um, he played about as bad as he's played his entire career. And that was coming off the heels of this whole narrative in the first half of the season, which I think Russell Wilson was a part of driving that, like, I've never gotten an MVP vote. It's time for me to take over the team more more than ever. And for whatever reason, I don't think it was necessarily that approach, but I just think uh, it all collapsed and Russell Wilson did not play that well. And suddenly the offseason comes and the biggest story about Russell Wilson is about how he wants to go elsewhere. And, and one thing we know about Wilson, I mean, he's a great teammate, sounds like a great player, but he loves, he likes being in the spotlight. I don't think every quarterback does. I think he likes the attention and uh, it definitely got everyone off topic of, of what was a, a pretty rough end to that season. I for sure was very frustrated with the way that things went. And I was wondering nationally, too, why everyone was characterizing it as if he is this victim. I mean, sort of like with Aaron Rodgers, he's been in one of the best situations in football for quite some time. And while Rodgers might have some gripes about Jordan Love being drafted, which I would get at the same time, the team's been, what, like 26 and 8 over the course of the last two years. There's been an assumption, Greg, that the, the Seahawks defense will be able to continue what it did in the second half of last year. And I'm curious as to how you feel about it, because they did improve as the season went along. They also improved going up against not particularly good quarterbacks. I look at the pass rush. There are definitely names that I recognize, like Carlos Dunlap, but also Alden Smith to a lesser extent, and Robert Kimtichi, I guess. Does this defense have the horses to, in a shootout with a team like Green Bay or any of the other teams that they'll actually play this year that have competent offenses hang with them? I don't think their defense is going to be a difference maker until they prove otherwise, because we've now got a solid four-year run of average play. You know, that's a pretty long stretch here. They haven't been bad. They haven't been good. They've, they've been average. And one, one thing that the numbers show is that, you know, second half turnarounds in terms of like you play much better down the stretch uh, than you did in the first half. Those don't normally carry over. It's better to view how you performed over the course of the season. And defenses are inherently uh, more volatile and unpredictable. So that's why you want to be an offense first team. And I think the Seahawks have become that. But when you look at the secondary uh, for the Seahawks, it's hard to make the case that they're a top 
10 defense in terms of personnel. They have the coaches. Things could come together, certainly. And that, like, that wouldn't shock me if they had a, a good defense this year. But I think the baseline has to be they're going to be average because they, they've been average for four years. And you can't tell me this is a particularly better roster than the one they've had you know, the last four years or so. He is Greg Rosenthal. Follow him on Twitter, NFL.com, and take a listen to the Around the NFL podcast. It's fantastic. Greg, thank you so much, man. Have a good one. Thanks, Paul. That is Greg Rosenthal, everybody. This is the Paul Gallant Show, most interactive sports talk show in Seattle. Is it realistic to expect a first-time offensive coordinator to significantly improve an offense's first year in charge and is all in with the possibility of going back to the Stone Ages worth that possible championship? All of that next. You're listening to Paul Gallant. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Every day at 10 on 710 ESPN Seattle. The most interactive sports talk show in Seattle. A text, 710-710. One texter says, by the way, it's a one-sided relationship, this texting 710-710. No, it isn't. You get to make it into the show. I just got to find it. The texter asks, can we get Marco Gonzalez some of the sticky stuff? Sick of waiting to watch our, quote, ace, end quote, get raked by the worst teams in the league. Well, first off, that would be cheating. And second off, timeout. We're not talking about the Mariners until they beat the Detroit Tigers. I was very frustrated last night. I turned the game on. I watched. I, I, I saw this play in the field by the Tigers where they botched it, and, and, and the Mariners end up scoring a run. And I'm thinking to myself, Yep, this is why the Tigers should never sweep you, even though they did, and they're 4-0 against you, and A.J. Hinge continues to own the Mariners, and oh my goodness, i got to stop. Okay, the question of today's show on the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle, which you can listen to on the 710 app if you so choose, or on your smart speaker, 710sports.com slash video. Is it realistic to expect a first-time offensive coordinator to significantly improve an offense his first year while in charge? got a variety of different answers on that front Shane Waldron doesn't even have to fix that much stuff they scored a lot of points last year he just hasn't had to refine he just has to refine the parts that weren't good well it's more complicated than that isn't it you you can't look at it just from the points scored because they were great the touchdowns thrown that was also great I mean statistically if you just take a look in a nutshell, at last year for the Seahawks, it's an awesome year, especially for the passing game. It's just crazy how it went from one part of the year to the next, and you add those two together, that good and that bad, you still end up getting really great numbers. But that's because they were doing historic things in the first half. Text 710-710. How do you know things would be worse without Russ? Really? No matter how you feel about him. Really? You want to go back to who was it more that we had before here? Clipboard Charlie? Charlie Whitehurst? Yeah. Clipboard Jesus. Mm, Clipboard Jesus. Thank you. Uh, There was um, Tavares Jackson. You want to go that route? I mean, after Matt Hasselbeck, (laughs) it wasn't good. And it's fortunate that Matt Hasselbeck was what he was with the Seahawks with Mike Holmgren, too. You've had decent quarterback play for a while. Not every team has it. And it's hard to find that next one. I mean, just look at New England right now. Unbelievable for a really long period of time. 
they are in a worse place having moved on from a 44-year-old at quarterback. Brady put up great numbers last year. He's not the same Brady of old. And look the difference that it made going from him to another MVP in Cam Newton, who is no longer the same guy. It is so hard to find that quarterback. Trust me as someone who has been through it recently, you don't want to go to that abyss. I'd rather the team have a prayer every single year than risk the idea of pushing all the chips in the table only to not potentially win. But a texter brought up a good point on this, 710-710. All in is the way to go. None of the texters, callers, and some of the hosts are thinking of all in the right way. You don't go all in on a player or two for a team sport. You go all in loading up your roster with guys who can make an immediate impact and stop trying to hope another late rounder can become something. Look at the Patriots consistently going all in, filling any holes they have. Well, by that logic, they're doing that already, aren't they? I mean, look at what they have traded just in the last two years to get veterans. Fifth-round pick for Gabe Jackson, fifth-round pick for Quinton Dunbar, fifth-round pick for Quandre Diggs, third-round pick for Jadevian Clowney, two first-round picks for Jamal Adams. Am I missing anybody? I mean, they're still kind of trying to piece the cornerback position together. Even Quentin Dunbar, like it felt yeah. like that would be a steal if he worked out. But right. It wasn't like you were hoping that he was about to reach that elite level, and he didn't. I don't know, right? This year I would say they're eh, they're kind of hoping for the best with the cornerback position. So I guess more if they were to maybe make another play, I don't know, like we have suggested for Stephon Gilmore, then okay, that then maybe you're really truly going all in. But they have they have been aggressive. There has been urgency. And the defensive line is kind of more just put a lot of guys on it. It, it is. It's Then it, go after a big name. They have a couple of we, – we called it last offseason more uh, the Thunderdome of offensive linemen because they had like <laughs> 19. I have still yet to watch Mad Max Thunderdome. I, I need to change that. But they had all those offensive linemen, and, and you saw what they come out with. I mean, it was a better offensive line than it was the year before, but it wasn't great. One of the things that I wonder about, I feel like people are a little bit too sure of the defensive line here. I don't think Jaron Reed's a huge loss, but he is a loss. Kerry Hyder, can he make up for that? I don't know. I hope so. And I guess the counter argument for that is what what free agent pass rushers really have gone to other teams and, and made huge impacts. You're right. Like last year, it's it's not. I don't know if there was a ton of options for them. Trades or signings it doesn't work so well I, I yeah they they probably didn't have many options more but it's not it's not the most convincing group of guys when you add them all together I guess what oh people wanted Leonard Floyd that was a hard one to watch for the Rams well yeah you want Leonard you want Leonard Floyd so he doesn't go up against you yeah that move is not entirely to to even make your defense better that's because the Rams he always gets six sacks against you uh, I do want to go back to our previous caller who called a while ago and I feel bad because I, I had a difficult time uh, understanding Josh. And one texter said, Paul, we were all reacting to that. What was he talking about? Sometimes we have a difficult time getting to the point. And I hope I didn't sound too mean there cutting him off. The point that Permora he was trying to make was that coordinators don't get judged as harshly year one as a head coach does. I, I think that this is going to be different. I, I still feel like Pete Carroll as far as job security, pressure, all of those things, I, I don't think that he is anywhere close to potentially having said job in jeopardy. I don't. I think he and John Schneider, that partnership, 
has been really effective. And I think it would take a couple of losing seasons for things to get to that point, especially if the losing seasons happen with Russell Wilson. Like, I think that's just so far out of the picture. So it is all on Shane Waldron. He, they hired a first-year offensive coordinator. They could have hired a bunch of people, and we heard all of the names that they brought in, some of whom were like, what? Adam Gase? Is that really happening? They brought in a lot of names. I thought about that. Yeah, they did. Hopefully they were just like, here's what we don't do. Adam, what did you do in New York? Oh, that? Oh, we're not going to do that? What, you did that too? Okay, we're not going to do that. Just writing down everything that he did so that you can learn from his mistakes. Maybe that's what they did. We'll see with Shane. I think, though, you got to be fair with the expectations. Realistic. The offense is probably going to be, I would imagine, fairly similar to what it was last year. It's a matter of finishing the season out strong. It's still, though, a first-year offensive coordinator. I'm wishing him the best. There's only so many coaches, though, that could come out of a specific coaching tree and, and, and pan out. And he's one of many that have come out of an exceptionally successful tree. One of these guys isn't going to work out. Big thanks to Maura Dooley, who makes this thing happen every single day, and to Greg Rosenthal of the NFL Network. Our callers, our texters, our tweeters. I am merely Paul Gallant. So long. Farewell. Have yourselves a wonderful Wednesday. Jake and Stacy is next.